When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is Wheel Bearings. I'm Dan Roth. And I'm Sam Abuel Samad. So let's jump right in. We'll try to do it nice and tight this week. Uh, we are driving some cars. So I'll let you go first because that's the gentleman that I am. <laughs> <laughs> so, since we last recorded, um, I've been in a couple of different vehicles. Um, while we were recording last time, I was in the midst of evaluating the uh, the 2018 Ford F-150 King Ranch diesel. Um, and... Um, and we talked a little bit about the, the diesel F-150 uh, earlier this spring when I did the, the first drive evaluation. But this is the first time I had a chance to really spend some extended time with it, some extended quality time with it. And, you know, one of the things that was interesting about this is, you know, this was a King Ranch. And it, it kind of is an interesting indicator of how the pickup truck market has evolved over the last 10 years. You know, I think one of the first times that I had an opportunity to to try out an F-150 uh, for a review back in the auto blog days, you know, like 10, 11 years ago, it was also a King Ranch. Um, but back in those days, the King Ranch was, you know, the top of the top of the line for F-150s. I mean, it was the it was the luxury pickup truck. And, you know, I mean, even, just, you know, the, the pickup market in general, the King Ranch was the king of the hill, so to speak. Um the king not of any, the ranch, maybe. <laughs> yeah, well, not not anymore. Uh, you know, I mean, now it's it's What's not above it's, it. Uh, now you have the the platinum above it, and then the limited above that. So See, that seems silly to just make it sort of like like you would think that you'd do platinum and limited below it. But I mean, whatever. That's that's fine. They've they've got it sorted out over yeah, there. Hey, people are buying them and, you know, they're buying them as fast as they can build them. Well, what's uh, the, I mean, King ranch diesel, I, I'm assuming that's at least a $60,000 F-150. Yeah. This one was 65. Uh, yeah. so it's a four wheel drive crew cab. Um, you know, it had, had some options on there on top of the King ranch package. So you had things like the, uh, the retracting running boards, which, you know, are a nice feature to have if you're actually going to, you know, use it as a truck and, you know, you might be in some driving around in some areas where, um, the road is not paved or, or, you know, Michigan for that matter. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, yeah. So, you mean, those, those get up and out of the way, actually, even just, you know, just in general driving, it's nice because they tuck up right up against the rocker panels, you know, so there's, they don't get as dirty and they're, they're kind of out of the airstream. So it's better for aerodynamics as well. Um, of course, that is another potential failure mode as well. Uh, but, you know, whatever. Ah, but by then the truck is not under warranty, so they just don't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good point. But, you know, for on a, you know, on a four wheel drive pickup truck with uh, 20 inch wheels, you know, it is definitely handy to have running boards of some sort, you know, unless you happen to be about seven feet tall um it makes it a lot easier to step up and into the the cab um but you know despite the fact that this thing is no longer the 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 top of the top of the f-150 lineup is still a pretty luxurious pickup truck um you know something like the limited you know is more akin to what you would expect from a lincoln pickup truck if lincoln were to revive something like the mkt that they did a couple of generations ago on the the f-series but, um, you know, this one's got, you know, really nice leather and it's got the, the King Ranch brand stitched into the, the seat backs and then the armrest cover, you know, in a contrasting leather color color. Um, you know, and, you know, it's got all the features that you would expect of a truck, you know, a sixty five thousand dollar truck. It's got all the all, all the um, 
assorted, assorted goodies like the um, driver assist features, adaptive cruise control, and so on. It doesn't have the the pro trailer backup assist, which you know, since I don't have a trailer, I wouldn't have had an opportunity to use it anyway. Uh, but you know, that's something that was on the expedition I was driving a few weeks before that. So um, you know, there are there you know, not everything is in this one, but it's it's pretty nice. Um, and you know the the crew cabs. The thing about you know the modern crew cab pickup trucks is they are so big inside. You know, carrying five you know five people, three across, three adults sitting across the back seat, not a problem at all. Plenty of headroom, legroom, and shoulder room. You know, there's 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 room for everybody in there. Um, you they know, as a, are yeah, they are just enormous. And yeah. Th- so, but the well, I mean, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Well, Carry just. On. You know, as as a pickup truck, though, it, it's more limited, you know, because this one, it comes in two bed lengths. You can get it in a five and a half or a six and a half foot bed. The five and a half foot, you know, is a little on the short side as pickup trucks go. Um, you know, so it's not as useful for carrying long stuff. Um, so, you know, if you are planning to carry, you know, a lot of, you know, hauling, you know, lumber and things like that, you might want to go for the, the longer wheelbase, longer bed version. Um, and, you know, maybe even get the, the bed extender, uh, that they have available, but you know, what, so what were you going to say? Uh, it's exactly what I was going to say is that, you know, they've made the trade-off between, uh, the way a lot of these trucks are going to be used in that trim level. You know, they, mm-hmm. yes, they have a bed, but it's shorter because it's not used as much as a pickup. It's used more as an SUV. So those those first two rows of seats are actually the most important thing there. And then if you want the larger bed, you can get it. It's just it, it's an extra cost. It's the longer wheelbase truck. And, you know, I mean, I'm sure that Ford has done a lot of research about exactly where to position this. So it, it makes sense. It's just when you think of a truck as a work vehicle, um, the shorter bed and usually the reduced payload uh, from uh, going with the, you know, a very big crew cab now, uh, it, the numbers kind of stack up against you if you if you're thinking about like actually using the truck as a truck. Yeah, but I think, you know, the the people who are primarily going to use something like this as a truck, you know, they're probably not going to go for a crew cab anyway. You know, they're going to go for the like the the super cab, the extended cab or, you know, in case of a lot of contractors, even just the the regular cab. And they're not going to go for the luxury truck anyway, Um, which which in some ways kind of makes you wonder, you know, who it is that buys these <laughs> these luxury pickup trucks? It's but, the company owners and the foreman. Yeah, and, yeah that's uh, true. Yeah. yeah, but you know, at the end of the day, too, like luckily with the F series, there is a flavor for everyone. Yeah, you know, it's funny. <laughs> uh, I was just thinking, you know, um, back uh, when I was working on some stuff for the 50th anniversary of the Mustang. You know, one of the the taglines for the car back in the 1960s when it first debuted was, you know, it's the car designed to be designed by you, you know, because you had so many different options. You know, you could you could buyers could literally configure it any way they want, you know, so that no two cars were exactly alike. And, you know, while there's still lots of customizability available in Mustangs, it's really the pickup trucks are now the place where there's almost infinite variability. Uh, You know, I mean, you've got on, I think currently on the F-150 alone, you've got like seven different trim levels. Um, You've got regular cab, super cab and super crew versions, you know, different, you know, a couple of different bed lengths, you know, on a uh, actually multiple, multiple different bed lengths because you can get the five and a half and six and a half on the crew cabs. You can get a six and a half or an eight and a half foot bed on the the regular cabs. Um, You know, so I mean, it's just, it's insane, you know, and then you've got five different engine options now, um, you know, from the, the base 3.3 liter naturally aspirated V6, the 2.7 and the 3.5 EcoBoost, the 5 liter V8, and now the diesel, which is what made, you know, why I was driving this particular one. It's the, the new 3 liter uh, V6 diesel that debuted this spring. And, you know, driving this truck around for a week. Um, I averaged 24 miles per gallon, which right. with this thing, which is the most I've ever gotten from a full size pickup truck. Well, and that's like I, you know, I'm glad that we got to the engine because I was gonna say, oh, well, let's not bury the lead. Like, yes, the King Ranch is a known quantity, but that new diesel is really sort of the the news here, um, and and that's the thing I think that's that's the most standout feature of of the truck. So apparently, it gets good fuel economy. Um, you know, what does it do for? 
for uh, for payload and for towing. I'm sure those benefit as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the, the actual max towing capacity is, is slightly less than the 3.5 EcoBoost. So if you really need the the utmost towing capacity of like, I think it's 12,400 pounds now on an F-150, <laughs> um, you know, the 3.5 EcoBoost is the one to get. Uh, but, you know, if you can if you can make do with a mere 11,000 pounds, then uh, the diesel is the way to go, especially if you're going to be towing on a regular basis. And, you know, back at the launch, you know, I think I talked about this previously, but, you know, the, the way that they uh, the Ford guys explained it, you know, kind of the, the way they see the, the customer base breaking down for these two is for somebody that's only towing. You know, a few times a year, a couple times a year, you know, maybe towing their boat to the lake in the spring and then pulling it out in the fall and, you know, putting it in storage or, you know, maybe, you know, towing a trailer, um, you know, camper trailer, you know, on a, on a road trip once or twice a year. For those people, the EcoBoost is fine because the thing with the with the EcoBoost, the gas turbo V6, is that it gets decent fuel economy when you're driving it around with the truck, you know, lightly loaded. But when you start putting a heavy load on it, and you have to start getting on the on the gas more to, um, you know, to to keep up, then the fuel economy really starts to drop off pretty dramatically. And you know, so instead of twenty two, twenty three miles per gallon, uh, now you're suddenly getting you know twelve or thirteen miles per gallon. And the diesel, on the other hand, is for those customers that. Are towing all the time, you know, whether you've got a horse trailer that you're hauling around somewhere to shows every weekend or, you know, what, whatever it might be. Or, you know, um, another good example is a landscaper that, you know, is towing a trailer full of equipment around, you know, to all the different jobs uh, on a daily basis. You know, uh, for that customer, the the diesel is a much better option because the, the change in fuel economy when it's under load is much, much smaller. You know, it's only two or three miles per gallon a lot of the time. So um, the the diesel is the the towing expert, and I would expect that right now it's only available in the F one fifty. But my guess is that you know within the next twelve months we'll see it available on both the Expedition and Navigator as well, because those are also frequently used for towing, um, and probably in the Transit, uh, the big Transit vans as well to replace the old three point two liter five cylinder diesel that's avail- currently available in those trucks and those vans. So uh, you know. Just, you know, driving around mix of, you know, around town, I was getting about uh, 20, 21 uh, miles per gallon. And then, you know, when I did uh, did a couple of highway drives, you know, to go to some client meetings, I my overall average for the week came out to about 24 miles per gallon, which is is pretty impressive for, you know, what is effectively driving around in a barn. Yeah, I mean, that's (laughs) outstanding. Um, And uh, yeah, I, I. I do think that you'd, you'd drop into the teens if you were making it work, but even so, oh, like yeah. that's that's the thing with the diesel is uh, they tend to put a lot of power yeah. to the to the job and not not really suffer fuel economy. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you're if you're towing you know an eight to ten thousand pound trailer with this thing, you could probably still you know especially on a long highway track, you could pr- probably still get eighteen to twenty miles per gallon with this thing. You know, I think we're going to need to um, get an eight to ten thousand pound uh, trailer. <laughs> as a, a business expense for us. Um, I'm thinking like a nice one that you could park, you know, you could use it for vacations and we can just trade it off between the two of us. And that's and, right. We'll uh, just, you know, I'll, I'll drive out to Massachusetts and yeah. hand it off to you and you can drive it back here. It'd be a tax write off, right? It's a business expense. <laughs> Seems perfectly reasonable to me. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> when we have to do that in December, that's going to be a real pain. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, yeah, the, they continue to, to innovate and to update the, the F-150 uh, and the, you know, the, the latest diesel seems to be good. It's interesting, too, that the trucks have gotten updates with the diesels when uh, diesel sort of on the flip side of, of diesel and like diesel and cars has really taken a beating with um, the Volkswagen scandal and, and stuff like that. Um, and the tentacles that that's provided to other automakers. But Trucks don't seem to really care as much about that, I guess. Like- well, you know, I mean, it for it, it's all a matter of finding the right engine for any given application. You know, when you need when you've got, you know, significant load, you know, for for bigger vehicles, um, you know, or something that's going to be used on the highway predominantly, you know, then 
the diesel makes, you know, just makes so much more sense, you know, for long haul trucking, um, you know, or the kinds of applications I talked about, you know, for big trucks and utilities, you know, the diesel is just, it's simply the best choice in terms of efficiency. Um, you know, but for other applications, a gas engine might be a better option. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's not going to end there. I mean, you know, in 2020, um, you know, the next generation F-150 is coming out and it's going to have um, a hybrid powertrain in it, a, full, a strong hybrid. And Ford, you know, the, the way Ford's going to push market that one is, you know, especially for contractors or somebody that needs a power takeoff capability, uh, you know, for electrical power, you know, to instead of hauling around a separate generator and running a generator to power the tools and other equipment, you know, one of the features on the hybrid F-150 will be the capability to, you know, provide, um, you know, significant amounts of electrical power, you know, much more efficiently than, you know, for example, a generator would be able to do. And, you know, much, you know, it'll, it'll be you know, not just not having to, to deal with a separate generator, you know, the hassle of that will be, a, they're, they're expecting that to be a better solution. So they're, they're trying to find the, you know, the right solutions for every job. And, you know, in the case of, you know, full-size trucks, you know, when you look at the, the possible build combinations, you know, it's, it's <laughs> literally in the many, many millions of buildable combinations. Uh, I know, I don't know what it is today. I, you know, I, the last time I asked uh, recently, they weren't quite sure how many buildable combinations there were today on F-150. But I know back about five or six years ago, uh, at one point, it was about 14 million possible unique combinations that could be ordered. Uh, you know, which is just, it's that's, insane. That's like the old days. That's, yeah. that's a lot. I mean, and you know, they make, they make a lot of profit and that's, that's like that whole sector is going to be interesting to watch, especially with all of the, like the tariff talk and, you know, mm -hmm. they, we just had uh profit reported and, and Ford was down. Um, like it's, there's, there's motion going on there and trucks are really the profit center of the American uh, automakers. So, uh, yeah, if, if that, I just like an interesting side note, like if the chicken tax goes away, I think Ford in particular, but all of us, the domestics are going to, they're, they're going to, uh, be concerned. Shall we underplay it a little bit? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and it's the thing, you know, all, all the automakers got hit on their second quarter results uh, in large part because of higher costs for materials, particularly mm -hmm. aluminum and steel. Uh, you know, those, those costs went up significantly and bid into their profit margins on across the board on all vehicles, obviously. And, um, you know, that's going to continue to be the case as long as this, this trade war uh, carries on. You know, and the interesting thing is, you know, the the administration you know talks about you know uh, wanting to slap a twenty five percent tariff on imported cars from Europe you know uh, because they have a ten percent tariff on vehicles imported from North America or from the U S um, what uh, what they don't mention is the fact that we have you know our single most profitable segment in this country exists because um, we have a twenty five percent import tariff on all trucks coming in that, that chicken tax you mentioned, you know, which dates back to the 1960s, you know, so, I mean, we are actually already, you know, even before all this started, we were chart, we had a much bigger tariff on that, you know, the, one of the, the single largest segment of the U S auto, auto market, you know, before, you know, without considering anything else, you know, we're basically, you know, shut out, you know, the rest of the world from that market. You know, there, there are almost no trucks, um, you know, imported to the U.S. market simply because of that tariff. Yeah. You know, the, 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 the few exception, you know, one of the few exceptions is the... Uh, uh, the Ford Transit Connect, you know, which is brought in, it's built in Spain, you know, and they bring that in um, as a passenger vehicle. You know, even the ones that are sold as cargo vans come into the country as passenger vehicles. Uh, and then they strip out the interiors and take the windows out of the, the back and replace it with sheets of steel, uh, you know, to to partially get around that tariff. Yeah. Well, I mean. It, that kind of thing is going to reshape a lot of stuff. It's going to it has the potential to reshape where the plants are, are put. So it, it has has long reaching 
uh, ripple effects. Um, yeah, I mean, it'll it'll probably hit uh, South Carolina, the Spartanburg, South Carolina, pretty hard if this yeah. goes forward, um, because that's the home of BMW's big plant. It's their single largest plant in the world, um, and it produces most of their SUVs. And I think about a third or more of their production from Spartanburg is exported to the rest of the world. So all the the X3, the X4, X5, X6, and the and the upcoming X7 are all built in Spartanburg. And, you know, if we start seeing tariffs applied to those vehicles, more tariffs applied to those vehicles, you know, we could see some of that production shift elsewhere. Yeah, uh, it's something to watch. But for now, the trucks are big. The profits are bigger. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know, but not but not everything is big. Uh, no, no. Because I went from that to the, the Kia Nero plug in hybrid. That is um, not big. Well, no. it's, it's big, big on the economy. I, yeah, well, no, and, and you know, it's actually you know surprisingly big on the inside. It's it's a very roomy vehicle. Um, you know, it's it's got plenty of room in the back seat for for adults. Uh, you know, plenty of cargo room, and you know, it's basically like the Nero that we've talked about before, but with a larger. I think it's a nine point seven kilowatt hour battery pack, um, and uh, it's good for twenty six miles of electric driving range. And for the first five days I had it, um, I didn't use a drop of gas, <laughs> you know, it's just right. driving, driving around on electricity, even, even on some highway driving, you know, it was pure electric driving, uh, and then just plug it in when I come home. And then that was, that was it. And, you know, even, and then when it did, uh, deplete the battery and start running in hybrid mode, it was still getting 48, 49 miles per gallon. So, you know, if you're looking for, you know, a, smaller utility type vehicle you know i mean i i wouldn't call it a you know certainly not an suv but it is you know kind of a crossover you know it's kind of a tall hatch you know it's, slightly taller hatch it's a wagon yeah well, it really is yeah it's it's a wagon <laughs> but you know then if you call it that then nobody in this country will buy it so i i know uh, and so i'm sorry but yeah. it's it like fills the place that those yeah. smaller wagons used to fill yeah, the the one, you know, really, you know, one of the only downsides to it um, is it's not available with all wheel drive. It's front wheel drive only. So if that's an issue for you, if you want an all wheel drive, then, you know, you're you're out of luck with the Nero. Uh, but, you know, if if you don't need all wheel drive, you know, and you want something that's got lots of space inside for your stuff, uh, for your kids, um, you know, and that's, you know, small enough to park easily, um, you know, and manage, you know, and get around and be really efficient. This is, this is a great choice. Well, I mean, we've talked about how much we like the Nero, uh, already. And, you know, it just seems like they've done a really good job at packaging it. Uh, not, not only the powertrain, but just, you know, packaging people inside and not making them feel cramped. And, uh, they designed it kind of around, the hybrid powertrain from the, the get-go so you don't necessarily really pay a ton of penalty for having even the larger batteries and and uh it, you know it, you can still load it with stuff and it's still a very useful car and it it looks distinctive uh a lot more normal than some of the other uh hybrids which i, I guess that cuts both ways right like it it could look weirder like a prius or even like an ionic which still is a lot more normal um, or it could just sort of have its own thing, which is really what the, the Nero does. Yeah. And, you know, compare probably the closest comparison to this vehicle would be, you know, something like the Ford C-Max Energy, the, the plug-in hybrid, which is now out of production. Um, they ended production a couple of months ago as they're transitioning that plant over to building the new uh, Ranger and Bronco. Um but, you know, the, the C-Max wasn't designed from the beginning to be even a hybrid, much less a plug-in hybrid. And so the packaging in that vehicle, you know, especially in the, the cargo area, is not very good. You you lose you know, a lot of your cargo capacity in that vehicle to the, the larger battery because of how they had to package the battery in there. Whereas the, the Nero and its uh, the the Hyundai Ionic, which shares the same platform, were designed from the ground up as electrified models. They were intended to be both um, hybrid, uh, plug-in hybrid, and battery electric versions. And so the the battery you know takes up 
uh, is the way it's packaged in there. It, it takes up much less of the usable room in the vehicle. So you, you have, you know, a lot, still have a large cargo area. You know, you don't have the battery sticking way up, you know, into the cargo area. Uh, and the whole thing just is much more effective. And in fact, there's, they just started sales, uh, in Korea last week of the new battery electric version of the Nero, which should be arriving here in North America, um, sometime towards the end of the year, I think, you know, it's a Available with two battery sizes, a 40 kilowatt hour battery and a 64, you know, that with the larger one should should give it about a 230 to 240 mile driving range on, on electricity. So there's there's, you know, a lot That's of really good. good stuff you know about that vehicle. Yeah, uh, it, it's it's charming. Uh, apparently it's charming people, too. It keeps it just one. Uh, I guess it was last year, right? It won J.D. Power uh, appeal. Yep. And IQS, which those are. And, those and are Kia, Kia and Hyundai have been at the, the top of the rankings for the IQS, the initial quality survey for the last couple of years. So, you know, they're clearly building good vehicles and, and building them right, you know, so everything works, you know, from the time you take delivery instead of having to go back multiple times to get it fixed uh, back to the dealership and waiting weeks or months for parts. Yeah. And you can send the check directly to. Sam, <laughs> I just love how when you say that kind of when you point that kind of stuff out, people just assume you're on the take. It's like no, we're just just noting. Well, like, no, what you know, what it was just a veiled slam at another particular automaker that we're not going to talk about this week. <laughs> I'm not even getting into it. I mean, we can shift gears though. So, like, you so what did from, you have? Right, you went from big to small. I I just stuck with big. I have the 2019 um, Subaru Ascent. Uh, as the Ascent Limited. And, you know, I think what we're seeing right now is the calm before the storm. These things are going to be everywhere, at least here in Subaru country in New England, uh, very soon. Um, because, you know, the last time Subaru tried a three-row, it wasn't quite right. It was a little too small. That was the uh, the B9 Tribeca. Um, it was just, it was a little L- too weird. A little, little too small and, you know, a little too big in the front. Yeah. So to speak. Yeah. <laughs> it was just, it was strange. I mean, it, it, and when they gave it that nose that was actually supposed to be, I think, a sob version of it or something uh, back in the day, you know, they cleaned it up for a mid cycle refresh. You know, I always liked the Tribeca, but it just, like, it, it wasn't quite right. It wasn't, it was just not, not the greatest execution. So they went back to the drawing board and they really, they, they, took their Subaru-ness, right? Like, it's almost as if they they put an Outback uh, in, a, in, in a taffy pole in that sense. Like, it doesn't feel like an Outback. That's not what I mean. But it just has that Subaru personality. Um, I, I think one of the most common questions I've gotten is, does it drive big? And I think for, like, the first day or so, yeah, it does. Um, but it is big. So that's, that's not a huge deal. It also drives pretty solid it's pretty well behaved uh for all its size it's easy to park um you know and and it does it it's well finished in limited trim and there's there's still room to go uh you can go up to touring um so the one that i had was uh i think it topped out at like forty two thousand, and it has a lot of equipment on it and i don't i don't really think that i missed having stuff so and it's you know it's quiet going down the road which i was also concerned about because some of the um, you know, Impreza models uh, can be a little bit louder as you <laughs> as you drive them. Um, but it's it's really well thought out as a family vehicle. They've made a big deal about like the 19 cup holders, and yeah, I mean that's a that's a thing. Um, it sounds ridiculous until you try only to take- 19. Well, yes, yeah, there's uh, only seven seats in the thing. <laughs> well, yes, there's actually up to eight, uh, but I have it in the okay. seven passenger configuration. Um, it sounds ridiculous until you try to take a trip or something, and then you realize like, okay, so you know, I've got a coffee and a water and like somebody else has a drink for now and a drink for later. And like they, you do wind up using them if they're there and they're, they're cup holders. Like it's kind of, it's funny, but it's, it's also like harmless and it's great to have them when you need them. So, um, I, I think that's a, actually a good feature. Um, I was actually really surprised at how lively it feels with the, uh, the 2.4 liter engine. Um, because the, the Tribeca didn't feel lively and it had a 3.6 liter uh flat six which sounded lovely and is definitely powerful but it 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 had the wrong power curve 
for this kind of vehicle. And like the ascent is not light. It's 4,500 pounds. Uh, and yeah, I mean, so, it's, it's a big vehicle. I mean, if yeah. you compare it to, you know, the equivalent from other manufacturers like the, uh, the VW Atlas or, you know, uh, Chevy Traverse or, you know, any, you know, Explorer, or any of those other vehicles are in that, they're in that same weight ballpark. Yeah. And, and so like, it may be light, like comparatively among those, it, it may actually be on the lighter side. That's what I would expect. I haven't looked to, to, to compare, um, but it doesn't feel ponderous, like, um, like a Pathfinder, you know, Pathfinder just floats and just feels really big. Uh, that's, that's not how, the ascent feels it feels uh pretty pretty well behaved and uh, you know again there's like there's 260 horsepower 277 pound feet of torque uh it, which is enough but i felt like it was only going to be enough and just the way it works with the uh the cvt and everything is is really good and it it does a good job moving itself around getting out of its own way i never feel like it's it's wanting for power um i would probably caution you against trying to tow something that's up to its 5,000 pound max. That's probably not a good idea. <laughs> like it'll do it. I'm sure it'll do it, but uh, then you'll, you're going to run into the limits of the power and you, you work the, tur- the turbo hard. Um, but yeah, overall it's a really solid, solid uh, uh, attempt or, or, you know, entry into this, this field. And it has um, Subaru's eyesight, technology stuff which is, is actually really good uh the i and we've talked about this you probably know more about it than i do um the the system will do it'll it'll slow down it'll stop it'll follow in in stop and go traffic but it, i think it's only camera based is yeah that- it's, a, it's a it's a stereo camera system so most of the systems that are on the market today you know that use like for, for adaptive cruise control, most cars use radar and then they use uh, a monovision, a single camera system for lane keeping assist and, yeah, and for collision, uh, avoid or for collision alert. Um, but the uh, Subaru was the first manufacturer to use a stereo camera system uh, on a mainstream car. And so there's no radar. There's just two cameras. And, the, you know, the two cameras, you know, give you that little bit of parallax, you know, basically like your eyes, um, you know, to give you that depth perception um, that is more reliable than trying to um, do that with just a single camera. Okay. It works really, really well, mm-hmm. really, really well. It's, it's well done. Um, and you know, that's important because yeah, this is $42,000, but I think Subaru offers eyesight on every trim of all its cars. They at least offer it on all their cars. I forget which trims you have to be in, but you know, they, they bring that stuff down to, uh, every sort of price level and, and make it pretty available. So you don't have to buy like the, the luxury. It's not, it's not just for the wealthy. <laughs> Right. <laughs> extra extra safety which is important um you know it's it's easy to get in and out of the the seats are comfy the materials are really good um the actually the uh latest version of their infotainment is pretty good uh i didn't find that offensive to use <laughs> so uh they've done a lot you know it's it's funny because subaru like you know what to expect and you definitely get it when you get in here, like it, it looks like a Subaru, it feels like a Subaru, it operates like a Subaru, and none of those are are bad things. But just in saying that, it also means that you know what to expect with how you know the stereo is going to be and, and how the nav system is going to be. And I was I was presently surprised because they've made some strides to update that, and make it easier to use, and and it is. Um, you know, some things are, are funny. Like I actually sent a text message reply to someone using the infotainment system. It read the text out to me and then I could reply with it to just say, okay. Uh, and I was like, well, that's, that's great. Like it was maybe less distracting than picking up the phone, but it was still distracting. <laughs> so yeah. maybe, maybe that's something we should not be doing. Um, but, and you know, and it's, they've paid a good amount of attention to the little things. Um, the, the, like the USB ports, for example, the the ones on the center console are, are um, high current, so they'll they'll charge a modern smartphone. Because I don't know if if you've noticed, but phones are pretty pretty power hungry. Well, so, especially if you're using them, you know, for navigation and things like that. You yeah. know, uh, then it start it'll start they'll start to draw a lot of power very quickly. And most of the initial applications of USB ports, you know, when they first started putting USB in cars, you know, about you know ten years or so ago, they were putting you know 
point five hundred milliamp, you know, half amp, right? Current half amps. Port, ports in there, and over the last few years, everybody has started shifting to a minimum of one amp, and many many new cars now have uh, at least two amps on at least one of the ports, uh, and you know some, you know, now that we're starting to see car, you know, vehicles come to market with USB C ports in there, you know, you, now you've got um, three amps, you know, at five vo- at five volts, you know, so fifteen watts. Um, which is more than enough to keep a phone, you know, to actually be charging it while you're using navigation or, you know, or other features. Like, it's just so funny too. Like, yeah, USB-C, a physically smaller connector. Let's jam a whole lot of current through that. Cause <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? It, no, it's not going to heat up. Like, why would it heat up? Like, just whatever. I'm not, a, not a huge fan of USB-C too. I mean, it works. It works well, but it's just, well, it's, I mean, you know, it's nice port. that it's, you know, it's reversible and, you know, I mean, there's lots of other things that you can do with USB-C as well. You know, and, you know, in fact, you know, on computers with USB-C, you know, well, USB-C is capable of actually transmitting up to a hundred, I think 110 Watts is the maximum. Yeah. I, you know what it is? It's it, I'm, I'm mad at Apple because they gave me a pro computer. They took all the ports away except for USB-C <laughs> and they took the reader off, the card reader off of it. And it's like, I'm a pro. I need those things. I use those all the time. What are you doing? I liked my FireWire ports. Now I have to have like an assortment of dongles to just connect to my, uh, you know, whatever. That's that's not what we're here for. Um, but no, the, the Ascent is a we're really, really... We're not here really, to complain? Uh-huh. We're not here to complain. I, I, somebody can call me later and complain. <laughs> well, I'll complain privately. It's fine. Um, and it also, it also has Wi-Fi. So, like, when you think about the things that family, you know, family buyers need and use, because that's what this is. They did a great job putting the right features in it. Um, it's going to have the standard all-wheel drive, so that's actually a plus for you if you're cross-shopping it against something um, like an Explorer or a Traverse or um, even the Pathfinder or you know just uh, the the Pilot. Just that stuff. You pay more for all-wheel drive in those, and well, sure, the prices of the Subaru are adjusted uh, to incorporate the standard all-wheel drive. It's it's nice that it's there. You, you, again, like it has one powertrain. And so across all of them, one powertrain, you know what it is. They all behave the same. And then you're, you're just adjusting features, which is, is nice. Um, I think it, it's a really, really well done uh, attempt. And I think they're going to sell a ton of them. So you said, you know, that Subaru fans will, will love it. What about non-Subaru fans? Yeah, I think they're going to like it too. I, th- I think because of what makes it a Subaru, you know, the belt line is a little bit lower. Visibility is pretty good. Uh, entry and exit are easy. I was actually surprised at how nicely it fit into a parking space because you feel the size. It's it's not that it's a small car. You you, know, you sit in the driver's seat and you look around you and you go, there's a lot of stuff in like just I'm I'm in a big vehicle, I guess, is the best way I can I can uh, express it. Uh, but when you start using all the features they they make a lot of sense the stuff is in the right places it operates the right way um it's it's not trucky so that's a plus you know and it's 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 well behaved uh, the the turbo engine and cvt work really nicely together i guess the the biggest complaint i have is that the throttle is a little little touchy so you get a little sort of head lurchiness um when you're trying to just move around at like low speed but you i think you adapt to that as well as a driver. So uh, it's hard to say after spending just a few days with it, like that's a problem. Like, yeah, maybe the first week you have it, you'll, you'll be snapping everybody's head. But after that, you probably get used to it. Okay. Um, so, you know, like before we get into topics, I actually, I had a, another sort of thing I wanted to just discuss with you. Sure. Um, because we did an event here last week called the Ragtop Ramble. It's a thing put on by the local auto press and and this, this it ties back to my comments about the infotainment in the the ascent so i i rode with an automaker uh rep you know one of the pr folks from the automakers and we were talking about our philosophies about how we review cars and you know one of the things i do as a reviewer is um i tend not i, I not i don't want to color my opinions when I try a car. So I don't necessarily deliberately rush to read a review or see what everybody else said. When I get a particular car dropped off, uh, I kind of want my reaction to be genuine. Um, so I feel like that can change my opinions or expectations going in. If I know what other people thought about it and liked and didn't like, I'm prone to say, Oh, this is probably going to be bad when I may 
you know, if I had never read that, I, I may not have an opinion. Um, and so we got to talking about census <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, once it was, was this with a Volvo rep or with somebody from another company? It it was, it was with the Volvo rep. We, we talked about other companies too. It wasn't just like a, you picked on my system and we actually got to census later when we were just talking about how we, how we do it. And I don't think, um, I don't think my history of bashing census <laughs> was on his mind. I don't think <laughs> he knew. Um, so I, but I explained, I was like, so the system to me, like, I want to come at those cold. I don't want to have read the manual. I want to try the sort of the, the human factor engineering and see how well you've done about making it intuitive and easy to use. And he said, yeah, that, okay, that goes only to a certain point because you have to understand a little bit of the philosophy behind why it's done the way it's done because everybody does it differently, which makes, makes sense too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he explained census to me in a way that makes a whole lot more sense. And so I'm, I'm sorry for, for bashing it so much to Casey, <laughs> <laughs> but I do want to try it again. Like, uh, you know, there's like, there's the now, uh, part of census, which is everything in front of the driver. You know, you've got mm-hmm. the controls on the wheel, you've got the head up display, right. you've got so the, it's the center screen. So you, right. you basically have three, three pages in the census well, inter- but interface that, but that's like, that's the anytime, anything right. over on that center screen is the anytime stuff. So that's why sometimes it's a little bit harder to get to because also census was optimized for the voice controls while you're driving. So I was like, okay, so to me, that makes sense. And it's, it's on us as reviewers. So like, do you, when you're a reviewer, when you're reviewing a car, do you actually like sit down and read through the PR and say, Oh, here's the, here's the philosophy behind that system. Here's how it operates. Or do you just get in and try to operate it cold? Um, so you know, I mean, most of the vehicles that I drive, I have been exposed, you know, at some point in time, whether at an auto show um, or a, a, a drive program or, or somewhere uh, or some other briefing, you know, to, you know, kind of the here's the overview and, you know, here's here's the things, you know, we think are important about this vehicle. So I've almost almost always I have heard the message, you know, from the, the, the PR people and the engineers and designers at some point before I've actually driven the vehicle. That said, you know, when I get into a vehicle for the first time, you know, I don't pull out the owner's manual. You know, I, um, I, I just, I just, you know, I start, you know, I plug in my phone, um, you know, if it's got Android auto, you know, get that configured and then I'm on my way and, you know, everything else, you know, I do what the, the vast majority of customers do, you know, people buy a car, you know, the I think the vast majority of people, you know, never crack open the owner's manual until there's something they don't know how to do that right. they can't figure out themselves. Well, that's yeah. the thing that that um, I think is giving dealers fits because it's part of the experience. Like, you know, when they drop off cars, there'll be times where they'll want to do a walk around with the journalist, which makes total mm-hmm. sense. Like you want the journalist to understand the car and not, you know, not go off and write a piece that is just uninformed. Sure. Um, when buyers buy a car like dealers now really like it they want to and part of the delivery process is now you've got to have that training session on the very sophisticated electronics um a lot of times buyers are just like yeah i don't care give me the car I, i'm i want to leave <laughs> right and you know this is this is a conversation i've uh frequently had with um with car makers you know with people from automakers about um especially as we're starting to get into these advanced driver assist systems and, and uh, partially automated driving systems is the, the customer experience at the, at the retail and, you know, how, you know, how, because, you know, obviously, you know, in, in past years, um, you know, we you mentioned, you know, like the uh, JD power initial quality survey, um, a lot of car makers, particularly Ford got hit really hard on that because of issues that people, experienced, you know, in those first 90 days, that's a survey that's done in the first 90 days of ownership or after at the end of 90 days of ownership. And, you know, uh, Ford had a lot of issues with my Ford touch, which came out in 2011 or 2010. And, you know, um, a big part of that, you know, I mean, there were, there were definitely, there were inherent issues with that system, but there were also issues with just understanding how it worked. And, you know, this is something that manufacturers have worked tried to work hard on with their dealers to, you know, to help 
their dealers, their retail people understand how the technology works. But as we get into these partially automated driving systems, it becomes even more important for them to understand what the limits of these systems are, what they do, what they can't do, and educate the customers when they take delivery or even in the sales process. And But that's a hard thing to do for, you know, for dealers uh, because, you know, dealers are, especially, you know, particularly here in North America, are independent businesses. They are uh, you know, they, they, they are not owned by the manufacturers, you know, they're franchised and, you know, manufacturer sells a car to the dealer and then the dealer sells it to the consumer. And so, you know, the manufacturers have limited control over what, you know, how the dealers operate and that, you know, that, that can be a, a real problem for them. And, uh there, you know, the other side of that as well is that there tends to be very high turnover among retail sales staff at dealerships. You know, I've I've heard numbers as high as sixty or seventy percent oh, yeah, annually. It's, it's yeah. And so, you know, when you, it's not surprising when you go into a new car dealer and you start. If you're at all educated or even curious, you know, you start asking them about some of the more uh, esoteric technologies or you know more advanced technologies. They just don't know, you know, and it's hard for the dealers to train them, and it's hard for the manufacturers to train those those staff. They they're trying to do more to educate their the the retail sales staff and the support staff at dealerships, but it's it's a real problem that has to be dealt with. Yeah. And, just, but but you're right too about you know customers you know you know a lot of times you know especially you know when you go buy a car you've gone through an hour or two hour process you know in the car buying process you know you're sitting there with the the finance guy you know doing your loan paperwork and he's trying to sell you all these other extended warranties and all this stuff and you just want to get the hell out of there yeah you know and so I can understand why it you know why it's a problem you know when when it gets down to that um, you know of trying to educate customers but I think you know. The dealers and manufacturers need to figure out a better way to do this to to educate those consumers. Yeah, well, it's just an interesting interesting take on it, and just like the way the way the system was explained to me was, I, I feel like okay, yeah, it's it's definitely on us to to just understand a little bit more of that philosophy because I think the philosophy that appeals more to me is the way you know BMW, Audi. And I think Mercedes are doing it where there's multiple ways that's kind of there's some redundancy built in, but you can get the information you want to get into the system in there through through different ways. And the Volvo Census system is a little bit more reliant on the it's more touchscreen centric, Yeah, touchscreen centric and the voice prompts and, you know, like pilot assist. But, you know, the point too, like when you own the car, you go through that setup process once or twice and that's that's it. Right. Then it's, then yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's different for us so. because we're jumping into a different car every week and you have to get reacclimated to a different interface. Um, you know, and it's, it's a, it's a real pain, you know, first, okay. <laughs> first, the, the, one of the ultimate in first world problems, we, you know, we're getting, you know, cars to drive new cars to drive every week and we're whining about, you know, having to learn the interfaces, but you know, to, to a degree, you know, as I said, and this is one, like I said, this is one of the reasons why I, try to replicate the the experience that an average consumer is going to have, you know, by, by not reading the owner's manual, because the reality is they don't, unless, like I said, there, there's something they just can't figure out, you know? And so uh, I think, you know, a crucial part of design, you know, whether you're designing a smartphone app or you're designing a car is discoverability. You know, the, the key functions of whatever it is you're designing have to be easily discoverable. And, and, you know, the, the, the user has to be able to figure out how that works. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's like, uh, that's user interface and human factors and all of that. So I didn't mean to derail us, but it was just a, no, no, an that's interesting discussion. Good. Yeah. Um, and, and I was and really I impressed think, you know, with Maybe the, what we need to do is get a, get a designer on here one of these days to talk about that. Yes. Yes. I'll work uh, on that. Um, yeah, I, I will as well. I have a couple of folks that I think would, would come on. I was really impressed with the, 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 the knowledge and the, uh, just the, the, the folks from Volvo that I met were, they were, they were good car people. I, yep. I liked it. <laughs> no, I, I, hey, I, you know, got, always gotten along great with them. They're, you know, they, they're great. They're, you know, they, they try to answer all the questions, you know, and, uh, you know, on the census stuff, you know, I've, I've had the explanation, you know, from some of their engineering and design people, you know, and, but, you know, having used it on numerous occasions now, you know, I, I, I understand what the rationale was. I can't say that I completely agree <laughs> that it works. But, you know, I mean, they did they did have a, a reasonable 
you know, rationale for why they did what they did. Yeah. And it helps you sort of temper your criticism because that's what we need to do is uh, critique from a place of knowledge versus just shooting from the hip, which is yeah. often way more entertaining. So let's do that. Let's shoot from the hip on some things. Okay. <laughs> so speak, speaking of designers, um, we actually had uh, a couple of uh, people in the industry that uh, died this past week uh, that just wanted to touch on a little bit. And um, one of them was uh, Chris Venson, who was the uh, most recently he was the um, director of design for trucks and utilities at Ford. Uh, and prior to that, he was director of uh, exterior design for Ford North America. And um, he, he died last weekend after a, a battle with cancer. Uh, and, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to work a little bit with Chris. You know, I didn't know him well, but um, he was, you know, I, I talked to him on a number of occasions and, you know, he was, he was one of those, uh, great car guys that really, really loved the, uh, loved the business and loved vehicles. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, he was, he led the team that developed the, uh, the Ford GT most recently, the new Ford GT. Uh, but he, he also, uh, prior to, you know, he, one of the, the first production models that he designed back in the nineties, at Ford of Europe was the first generation Ford Cobb, which was, I think a really cool design for, oh, that a, was a, for a really yeah. small car. It was a really neat design. Yeah. And that's, that's where you see a lot of innovation is in small, inexpensive cars. Yeah, because, you know, in, in general, you know, in engineering and design, you know, having constraints put on put on you is what causes innovation. You know, you when you when you're when you're given an you know unlimited budget, you know, and you're able to do whatever you need to do, you know, it's it's very different than, you know, when you have very specific constraints and you have to design within those and still create a great product. And I think, you know, that was one of those cases where they, they did a really good, really interesting job with that design. Yeah, well, and, and I mean, the, the newest GT is like, that's a masterpiece. Just, yep. I, I got to see one up close a while ago, um, which for me out here in my hinterlands is, uh, is a thing. So, yeah. That, and that's like it, both of the, and we, we lost uh, Sergio Marchioni uh, kind of suddenly yeah, uh, as well. And, and both of them were cancer and cancer's uh, a thing. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, the, the cancer, you know, in Marchione's case, um, you know, the cancer wasn't what directly led to his death. It was it was somewhat indirect. Um, you know, he had been apparently he had been sick for about the past year. Um, and, uh, you know, the, I guess the company did not even know how sick he was. They didn't realize that he had cancer. But he uh, a few weeks ago had surgery on his shoulder. And uh, following that, uh, he developed an embolism that went to his brain and um apparently um, had uh, went into cardiac arrest at some point and suffered irreparable brain damage. Um, and last week he was informed uh, or the company was informed by his family that he would not be able to, he would not be recovering and would not be able to return to work. And so they, uh, the, the board of Fiat Chrysler and, and Ferrari um, got together to name Mike Manley as his successor. Uh, Marchione was not expected, was expected, was planning to retire April of 2019 anyway, but they had not yet named his replacement. But uh, so now it's going to be Mike Manley, who's been leading Jeep and Ram for the last several years. But Marchione was a fascinating character. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I wanted to go back and look at... Um autoblog podcast episodes from around the time when he basically swooped in and saved Chrysler. And then later they, when Fiat consumed, you know, bought up all, all of Chrysler. Uh, Cause I think it was you, me and Chris Schunk at that point. And we had some things to say about it. I wanted to just check us and see how accurate we were. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I mean, his, his reputation is being somebody that can save a company, you know, actually started before that, you know, when he became CEO of Fiat in 2004, because, you know, in those, in those days of the early 2000s, Fiat was in a lot of trouble. You know, they had gone through a period where they had a, a partnership with General Motors um, and GM was not happy with it and, you know, ended up paying Fiat $2 billion to get out of that partnership. And, you know, following that uh, and, or, um, Marchione came in, you know, he was brought in as, well, he had been at Fiat, but he was named CEO of Fiat. And he basically, you know, uh, 
you know, righted the ship there, you know, and got them back on a reasonably sound footing again to the point where, you know, in 2009, when Chrysler was going through its bankruptcy, um, you know, they were able to come in and, you know, convince the, the U.S. government, you know, said, look, you know, let us take control of this. You know, we'll provide, you know, Chrysler with what it needs, you know, in terms of some good small car platforms, um, you know, and, you know, we'll be able to make a, a stronger global player. And, uh, you know, it it largely worked. I mean, you know, there were, you know, there were obviously issues along the way, but, you know, uh, there's a, a great article that um, Ed Garston wrote for uh, Forbes this week. Uh, Ed, uh, until he retired in 2016, was uh, director of uh, digital communications at Chrysler. And, um, you know, he, he shares some of his memories of, of working with Sergio uh, over the past, you know, over the, the seven years between when uh, the bankruptcy and uh, when he, when uh, Ed ended up retiring. And, you know, I mean, he's, Everybody I've talked to at FCA in recent years that, you know, has had to deal with uh, Marchionne in one respect or another, you know, had tremendous respect for the guy. Um, but they also acknowledged he was extremely hard to work with or not, not hard to work with, difficult to work for. Um, yeah, I mean, he, he expected a lot from his staff and, you know, most of the time they, they delivered, um, you know, they they made incredible progress, you know, from 2009, you know, when they went through bankruptcy to where they are today. And, you know, the, the other thing is, you know, they under his leadership, they weren't afraid to change direction when they realized that things weren't going right. You know, they they introduced a couple of new car lines, you know, based on Fiat platforms, the, you know, the Chrysler 200 and the, the Dodge Dart. And, you know, when the market started shifting away from cars to uh, utilities, you know, FCA was one of the first companies to just say, okay, you know, let's, let's cut this, cut these products loose and, you know, shift our strategy to other products, you know, that are, that are going to work for us, you know, and, you know, they've, they've been very flexible in the way they've operated, which has been to their benefit. You know, it's, it's helped the company continue to grow. You know, it still has a lot of challenges ahead of it. Uh, but, you know, I think, I think that, you know, overall he put them on a reasonably sound footing. Yeah, I think he did. And the the sort of genius behind the move was uh, back in, in, in 2008, 2009, it was like, oh, you know, F, Fiat going to buy Chrysler. Like, oh, that'll never work. And it <laughs> actually it turns out that Jeep is the economic engine that just keeps running everything right now. Jeep and Ram. Jeep, yeah. Um, and uh, it's, it's almost like the tables have turned and it was just a really prescient move to say, OK, like Fiat's in this place now, but we should definitely diversify. And they tried a few things. They tried to bring, uh, you know, uh, the dart to market and the 200 and it, it they and the 500, succeed. you know, yeah, I mean, the, the I mean in, two, in 2009, when they made the, you know, that first five year plan, um, you know, it, at that time, you know, it looked, you know, small cars were ascendant, you know, and it looked like, you know, a car like the 500 was going to be a good fit for the U S market. Obviously things changed, pretty dramatically over the next few years, you know, as the economy started to recover, um, you know, smaller cars struggled in the marketplace. And then when, when fuel prices went down, you know, the, the demand for small cars just tanked and, you know, the, the 500 just never w turned out to be a great fit for the U S market. But, um, you know, they, they weren't af afraid to make adjustments along the way. But Ram trucks. Oh yeah. <laughs> and Jeep, like, uh, Ram trucks, maybe not quite as much, but Jeep, in terms of SUVs and crossovers with high transaction prices and lots of profit compared Absolutely. to the rest of the competition. So that was, that was, that was smart. Um, and we'll, we'll see how long that, that holds out. Uh, you know, there's still some challenges ahead, but Mike Manley has done a, a fantastic job growing Jeep. I talked to him, I want to say back in 2011 or 12, um, I interviewed him and I think that's also on the auto blog podcast. If you go back and look for it, but his goal at that point, they were under a million per year. And I think they've broken that. They broke it that year and then they kept going. Um, they're over a million vehicles per year now at Jeep. And so like, that's just one brand. So, you know, they've introduced new product to sort of drive that, but that's where everybody's going. And Jeep has is this really burnished reputation. So yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's been a, been a crappy week for, 
for auto people. Um, but at least we can we can point to the accomplishments of, of both uh, you know Sergio and Chris, and, and uh, hopefully nothing else bad happens for a while. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I know uh, you've got a hard out uh, in a couple of minutes, so let's wrap it up there for this week. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll come back to some of the other stuff next time around. Uh, and we'll, we'll get some, we've got some uh, questions from listeners uh, in the queue and we'll, we we'll hit those on the next show. And uh, I saw Ed Niedermeyer um, stalking us on Twitter. Uh, he probably uh, would yep. be, you know, enthusiastic to come on as well. So we can. Yeah, we'll try and get Ed on next week. All right. Uh, So thanks for listening, and we'll catch everyone next time. All right. Bye. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.